if you're eager to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I grew up hearing stories of persecution, uh, especially the heroes of faith from communist countries. And the Western world was focused on Russia and the danger it posed. And uh, Christians uh, focused on uh, another danger, the, the danger of persecution that they believed uh, communism would bring. And uh, the danger that it brought to our brothers and sisters in Russia. We heard stories of people being uh, imprisoned, sent off to prison work camps, uh, beatings, losing jobs, torture. We read the story of the, called The Persecutor, the story of Sergei Kurdikov, who was uh, an orphan who was chosen uh, by uh, the high-ups in Russia to uh, go up in the military, and then eventually he joined the Navy, and then from there he was chosen by the police. And uh, his job was to choose an elite group of men, find the toughest, the best men, and their job was to persecute the Christians. And they did so for quite some time, beating them, imprisoning them, and uh, taking away their stuff and so on. Eventually, he couldn't take it anymore. And the reason he couldn't take it was because of the response that the Christians were giving back to him. He escaped to Canada, and through a miracle, uh, God preserved his life, and uh, he became a believer, but he knew far too many of their secrets, and they killed him here. We heard stories of the ancient Roman Colosseum where Christians were thrown to lions, where gladiators uh, hacked them to pieces. We were told of the Reformation saints who gave their lives to gain freedom. John Huss, who was burned at the stake. Wycliffe, who gave his life to get the Bibles into the hands of ordinary people. The French Huguenots, who were attacked in their homes, driven out, the ones that weren't killed, had to flee in the midst of winter, and so many of them died without food and clothing, and they had to go hide in the mountains. We shivered at those stories. We admired those heroes of faith, and we were glad that we didn't have to go through what they did. But we did expect persecution to come soon. But gradually all this died. Serious persecution didn't come. No one here had to die for their faith. Roman uh, Russian uh, communism fell and it seemed that the danger was past and Christians breathed a sigh of relief and carried on with life and we became comfortable. Meanwhile, year by year, the Judeo-Christian morality and underpinnings of our society were eroded. Our freedoms were just silently taken away, slowly. And it didn't feel like persecution. Yes, we knew that persecution was happening elsewhere, Stories emerged of uh, growing persecution in China and Muslim lands, but that didn't really affect us. But now, today, suddenly we're waking up to the fact that our society is no longer based on Judeo-Christian values. And persecution is happening, and it will worsen. Suffering for Christ is already here. And in this context... 
Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now that word blessed means to be happy. Or it can be translated also as flourishing are those who are persecuted. Peter puts it this way. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as though something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. So be happy. Or you could translate that as you're blessed. So be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian for then the glorious spirit of God rests on you. Happy? Blessed? So you're a teenager and you're sitting in a class and a teacher is mocking your faith and your beliefs. And you're sitting there and you're, I'm supposed to be happy? I don't feel very happy right now. Flourishing? Doesn't feel like it. Or you're cursed simply because you're a Christian. That doesn't sound like a happy moment. You're bullied and you're canceled because of your beliefs. Happy? Yet Peter says, when that's happening, be happy. Because there are blessings in persecution. First, he says, we become partners with Christ in his sufferings. And it's a privilege he says, to share with Christ his sufferings. And just as you share in his sufferings, you will share in his glory when he's revealed. One day we'll see that glory. Also be happy because the spirit of God, the spirit of glory rests on you. God doesn't leave us alone when we're suffering persecution. He makes sure that there's blessings in the persecution. Spiritually, we flourish under persecution. Outwardly, everything may be falling apart. But while everything is falling apart, if we're willing to yield to God in it, he's making sure that inwardly we're flourishing. Now, Jesus is very specific what kind of persecution are, uh, this is. It's persecution because of righteousness. The suffering we're talking about here is not the suffering that we all face from the curse that came because sin entered, sin entered the world. He's not talking about that. Those kind of sufferings God uses also. But that's not the context here. It's not the thorns and the thistles of life. It's not suffering because of your politics, your race, your skin color, or your circumstances. And that happens also. And God can use that kind of suffering too. But that's not what he's talking about here. Nor is it talking about the consequences that we face when we act badly and we sin. And some people have a persecution complex. They act badly. And when people respond with the same, they believe they're being persecuted. Years ago, I knew of a woman, she was so outspoken, a Christian woman, so outspoken, so harsh and judgmental that she couldn't keep a job. And she put it all down to that she was being persecuted. No, she's suffering because of her bad actions. 
I knew a man at work. He was so aggressive in his witnessing, and he wasn't kind in it, so aggressive that he made people angry. And they complained to the company, and finally the company had to say to him, you're not allowed to share your faith while you're at work. And he said, I'm being persecuted. No, he's being persecuted because of his bad actions. What Jesus and Peter are talking about here is you're being persecuted because of righteousness. You're being persecuted because of your right living, because you're living according to God's kingdom rules, because you're living out God's ways in the midst of a world which does not respect God, nor do they want to submit to God. It's being persecuted because of what you believe. If you're pro-life, you will be persecuted. If you believe that marriage is to be one man with one woman, you'll be called hateful, a bad person. You're the reason that they are not happy. If you believe a man is a man and a woman is a woman, you will be hated. Our premier, Smith, had a picture taken with a guy that had straight pride on it. And she faced a big backlash and she really backpedaled from that. But if you promote that you are straight, then you're insulting them. You will be persecuted. If you believe that we are sinners in the need of a savior, you'll be persecuted because to them that's a hate message. If you believe that God created this earth, if you believe that you should live godly lives, the list just goes on. But Peter gives us a warning in all of this. It's to make sure that your suffering and your persecution is not because of your bad behavior. A number of years ago in the States, there was a church that in these pride parades, they would be there holding up their signs, and the signs were reading, God hates fags. Well, that went national in the news. And they claim persecution when they face a backlash. No, that's not persecution. That's a backlash against their bad behavior. So Peter says, if you suffer, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame, he says, for being a Christian. So what he's saying, if you're suffering because of your bad behavior, there is shame in that. But if you're suffering because you're standing for the values of God, there's no shame in that. He goes on, he says, For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right, and you patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you. Those words should motivate us like none other. Jesus puts it this way. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reward for suffering persecution, he says, is the kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus is trying to tell us that when we're suffering persecution, we need to take our eyes off 
what we're facing now, and don't let that motivate you, but let what's coming motivate you. Keep your eyes ahead of you, the kingdom of heaven. Live our now in view of our future. Let your future determine how you live now. Peter takes the same approach through in the entire book. He keeps taking us back to the gospel, the future. And he tells us to live our now in light of that. So our now, we're to live clear-minded and self-controlled so we can pray, he says. We're to love each other, to show hospitality. We're to serve using our gifts. We're to serve in God's strength, to speak as though you're speaking the very words of God, doing everything in a way that brings praise to the Father. And so the future is to impact how we live now. It guides us. And he says if we do that, he says, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Well, don't all of us have the spirit? Don't all of us have God? We do, if you're a believer. But he's saying there's something different here. In a unique way, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God is with and rests on those who are willing to suffer for the name of Christ. Jesus puts it this way. Blessed, happy are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now he's defining what persecution is here. You don't have to have your head cut off to have that called persecution. You don't have to be whipped or thrown into prison to call that persecution. He says, when people insult you, when they tell lies about you, when they try to discredit you or your life, when they say evil things about you because of him, that's persecution. Yes, the other is too. That's more severe. Even in our country, there are people that lose their jobs, they're bullied, have been beaten up because of their beliefs. They face fines and even imprisonment. And we're seeing a growing call for violence against all who disagree with their agenda. Just this last week, there was an individual that was on the news who was saying that uh, anyone who opposed the transgender agenda, he says they should be punched in the face. And he's applauded for that kind of statement. He's calling for violence against those who disagree with them. And they think that's good. But Jesus has taken us to a very basic level of persecution. Because of me, he says, if you're going to name Jesus as your Lord and if you're going to seek to live as he wants you to live, you will at minimum face insults and lies about you. They'll try to put you down. They'll try to discredit your faith. They'll mock you and sneer at you. And that basic minimum everyone is facing in our country. But, you know, sometimes this comes even from our own closest friends and family, even from fellow believers. Even in the church, if you're going to seek to live a life that is sold out to Jesus Christ, you're going to face persecution. Now, Peter gives us the reason why they hate you. He says in... Uh, 1 Peter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered 
in his body is done with sin. He does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. And then he goes on, he says, you used to live in the way they used to live, doing all the negative things that they do. But you don't do that anymore. And they think it's strange that you do not live like they do, doing the things that they do. And so they heap abuse on you. Why do they persecute you? Because you're different. When I was a young child, at that point, my father's cow herd was all Hereford. At that point, so all red and white. And he bought a Holstein cow, so black and white, to be a milk cow. And he brought it home and he put it out into that herd of red and white cows. And when he came back later, they had it down and almost dead and it ended up dying. They killed it. Why? Because it was different. And they didn't want different. The Jews are another example. Over the centuries, they have faced persecution after persecution. They've been blamed for all of society's ills, blamed for droughts, blamed for economic failures, blamed for pestilences. They've often been killed or driven from their homes, abused in almost every way. Why? Because they're different. They were never really accepted into societies that they lived in. Never allowed to really belong. We're the same, Peter's saying. We are different. We have different beliefs. We have different values. We have different behaviors. And because of that, we will be hated. Even today, we have politicians who are publicly naming Christians as the reason for our country's ills, problems. The further a society moves from godly values, the more stark is that contrast between them and us. And the greater that contrast is, the more the persecution grows. And so persecution is guaranteed. Paul says everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a way for you to avoid being persecuted, and that's for you to be like the world. To live like them. They're okay with that. They'll be okay with you. But if you're going to be different, they're not okay with that. Jesus, talking about this, says they're going to persecute you because they, first of all, hate me. And they're going to persecute you because not only do they hate me, but I have chosen you out of this world, and that's why they hate you. You are the chosen people. Remember, Peter has a fair bit to say about that, doesn't he? You're the chosen people. And they hate you because you've been chosen. And so he says, it's guaranteed if they persecuted me, Jesus, it's guaranteed they're going to persecute you because you follow my name. And then the next reason he gives me, he gives us why they're going to persecute you, it's because when Jesus came and they saw his righteous life, it magnified their sin. It left them without excuse for their sin. And in the same way, our lives, as we live for righteousness, it magnifies their sin. 
You see, they desire to live guilt-free, accountability-free lives. Your life, your beliefs expose their lives for what they are, and they hate you for it. And so the summary of what Jesus and Peter is saying is, you don't belong to this world. So they hate you. You are different. If you're serious about following Jesus, you will be persecuted. And your actions are like a light revealing that their actions are evil. And they hate that. Jesus talking about this says, the light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You see, they have to persecute you if they don't want light shining on their lives. You see, if you promote sexual purity and you live sexual purity, your life becomes an attack on the people's love of sexual freedom. If you embrace temperance, your life becomes a statement against their addictions. If you pursue self-control, your life reveals their lack of control. If you live simply and happily, you show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly before your God, you expose their pride. If you're honest, your life rebukes their dishonesty. If you're a person of compassion, it shows up their self-centeredness. If you're spiritually minded, you expose their worldly mindedness. Matthew Henry put it very simply. Christ is hated because sin is loved. And in terms of persecution, we can just simply say, you're hated because they love their sin. That's what Peter and Jesus is trying to say. Now you might be saying, not everyone is going to persecute me. I don't experience that. And that's true, not everyone who isn't a believer is going to persecute you. The closer their lives are to Judeo-Christian values, the less they will feel a need to mock and harass you because they would be harassing you for the same values that they're living by. But what we're seeing happening, and the further our society goes away from righteousness, the more we'll face persecution. And this is why greater persecution is coming, because our society has largely abandoned righteousness. Now, in that context, both Jesus and Peter says, Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. And also because the one who suffers is done with sin. There's a result that happens in our lives as we face persecutions if we're willing to respond to God. Peter says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human evil desires, but rather for the will of God. Persecution forces us into a choice. Are you going to give in to the world, give in to sin? Are you going to conform, or are you going to stand up? And all those who are willing to arm themselves with the same attitude that Jesus had towards persecution you're going to have that blessing of growth in your life. You see, persecution doesn't let us hide unnoticed. Persecution purifies the church. 
And often when persecution comes, there's a falling away by those who don't want to face persecution. But for those who stay, they grow stronger, the church grows stronger, and it thrives in ways, it flourishes in ways that it wouldn't have without it. A number of years ago, I did a fair bit of research and study on the early Mennonites. And so many of them, they were burned at the stake. They were tied in sacks, and, ro and rocks were put into the sacks, and they were thrown into the rivers, drowned. Others were put into prison and beaten. And they were killing them as fast as they could kill them. And one official said, we can't kill them fast enough because what was happening, persecution caused them to thrive. And they became so bold in their witness, they were winning people to the Lord way faster than they could kill them. 1974, Ethiopia, the communists overthrew the emperor and took over the country. Almost immediately, they closed, uh, confiscated the churches. They threw the pastors into prison. They thought, well, if we get rid of the leadership, the church will fall apart. But that's not what happened. The church went underground. It became so bad that millions of Ethiopians actually fled the country. But the church went underground, meeting in their homes. And in that time of persecution, the Ethiopian church multiplied many times. Here's just one example. One small church denomination. Before the persecution came, they had 14 small churches. Eight years later, they'd grown to 52 churches and had about 50,000 members. It wasn't just that one small denomination. That happened across all the Christian groups. The early church faced severe persecution. The result was the persecution spread them throughout the whole Roman Empire. And they took the gospel with them. Later, one Roman official, in a letter, wrote, he says, the Christians have turned our world upside down. You see, that's what Peter's trying to tell us. When we arm ourselves with the same attitude Christ had towards persecution, we're done with sin. What he's saying is we become committed followers of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is our example. He didn't try to avoid suffering. He stood for what was right. He obeyed God even to the point of dying on the cross. His life was not his own. And when our life is not our own, we thrive spiritually. We flourish. That's why Paul says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, he was keeping that future ahead of him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, he says, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. see, that's to be our response. He's our example. In fact, he says, you haven't gone as far as Jesus yet. Now, many Christians have. 
but the ones he was writing to you hadn't yet. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, he says. Giving your life. Verse 7, he says, endure this hardship, persecution, suffering, like discipline from God. God is treating you like his children. He's disciplining you to bring you into the right, right way. You see, what Paul's saying is persecution forces us to decide whether we're going to live for our earthly desires or follow the will of God. It's drawing that line and it's saying which side of the line are you going to be on? Are you going to live for holiness or are you going to live for yourself? In times of persecution, you're forced to make that decision. And when you choose the right way to respond to suffering and persecution, this is what's going to happen in your life. Uh, Romans uh, 5 and James 1 both say that we're to rejoice in our suffering. Sorry. James said, count up pure joy because when you suffer, it develops perseverance in your life and perseverance develops character and character develops hope. And hope does not disappoint us because we experience God's love in greater ways. So as I close here, my question is, what should our response to be of persecution. How should you live your now? Peter gives us that answer. He simply says, when you're suffering, be clear-minded, be self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Get into each other's homes. Get to know each other. Offer hospitality. Each of you use whatever gift God has given you to serve the rest. If your gift is speaking, speak as though you're speaking the very words of God. Make sure you speak for God. Do all of this in the strength that God provides so that the result is that in all the things Jesus Christ is praised. Commit yourself to your creator and continue to do good. Now, you may be thinking, isn't that just normal Christian living, how we're supposed to live? You're exactly right. That's the end result of persecution. It's to force us into the blessing of living the way that we should have lived without persecution. What's normal Christian living? So Peter's response is, are you persecuted? Well, okay, get more committed. Pursue normal Christian living, serve each other, and do good. Do what you should be doing anyways. And he says, you will be blessed. You'll be happy. You'll be flourishing. Let's pray. Father, none of us like the thought of persecution. We recognize that it's already here. We recognize that it's going to get worse because our society has abandoned your principles, your values. And that contrast between our society and, and you is just growing. And as that contrast grows, they're going to hate us more. We recognize that. And so I pray that we would arm ourselves with that same attitude that Christ had towards suffering commit ourselves to you, and continue to do good. 
And I give you the praise that as we do that, the spirit of glory and of God will rest on us. And we will flourish. I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.